homily for the 25th Sunday in Ordinary Time. September 19, 2021, St. Mary's Church, Grand Forks. Many years ago, there was a popular comedy and music duo named the Smothers Brothers. And in one of their most famous acts, Tom complained, Mom liked you best. His brother Richard told him, lower your voice. And Tom said, Mom liked you best. Sibling rivalry is unsurprising, I suppose. The same could be said about the men Jesus chose as his apostles. Today's gospel gives us a peek into the dynamic between them and their all-too-human foibles. We hear that when Jesus asked them what they were arguing about, once they arrived at the house in Capernaum, they did not want to fess up about it. They knew it was unbecoming, and not in line with the things the Lord was most concerned about. But rather than to sweep this episode under the rug, Jesus decided that he needed to address it immediately, and in a way the twelve would long remember. Why would the apostles explore this question of who was the greatest? I can think of several reasons. One of them has to do with the natural quality of people ranking things. The existence of award shows in our culture derives from this. Each year there will be a movie that earns the most money at the box office, but independent of that, the peers of that industry choose a film released in that given year to win the Oscar for Best Picture. Why they choose the one they do is a whole other question. The same thing happens with the Grammy Awards for popular music and the Emmys for television. Out of everything generated that year, something has to carry the mantle of being the best. A certain power comes to an artist who receives that declaration of their product being the best, at least in the eyes of those for whom it matters. Another obvious reason is to promote self-interest. The apostles had by this time witnessed a great many miracles that they had never seen before and had never seen anyone else do. What would it mean, not only to be in close proximity to Jesus, but to be his official right-hand man? What if every request had to go through James, or John, for example, in order to get to Jesus? How would it feel to walk through crowds and hear people whisper that you were a person of importance? What kinds of favors would some of them want to do in order to gain influence? Do you see the slippery slope that can emerge? I don't want to paint too bleak a picture of the human condition, but vices like pride and greed can hold powerful sway in people's hearts. This is especially scandalous when someone who held a spotless personal reputation is exposed for some sort of crime or misconduct. When worldly glory becomes our main priority, we no longer ask, how can I serve others as Christ? Rather, we ask, how can so-and-so serve me? When you look at how the church works, are we contradicting ourselves? There is a hierarchical system in church governance by virtue of the sacrament of holy orders. Among the twelve, Jesus named Simon Peter the rock on whom he would build his church. Aside from that, at the Last Supper, Christ established his priesthood and the Eucharist that they confect. 
within ordained ministry. There are bishops who are successors to the apostles. There are also priests and deacons who collaborate with them in carrying out the church's mission. This is not a contrived system on our part, but what Jesus has revealed to us and established. The paradox is that within this structure, the Lord's mandate is clear and binding. Whoever among his followers would rank ahead of all the others must serve the rest. The first will be last, and the last will be first. Back at this time, for Jesus to use the example of a child to illustrate his point was all the more dramatic. Relatively speaking, childhood was not romanticized back then as it tends to be today. There were not the same societal protections or advocates for human rights in place in society. Christianity actually promoted children's welfare in ways that ancient Rome or Greece largely did not see fit to do. To be childlike, not childish, there is a big difference, is to rely heavily on God's loving care. As a child, we cannot secure that help for oneself. This also happens to be Catechetical Sunday. Many parishes find that their faith formation program is all over the map these days, for reasons beyond our control. Some families willingly engaged in our in-person religious ed classes over the past year. Others preferred to study the materials at home as a household. And still others have become disengaged from the life of our community in the last year and a half. We, and I mean all of us, need to roll up our sleeves and reconnect with these brothers and sisters, instead of presuming everything will automatically fall into place. In many cases, this is not a product of bad intentions, but their relationship with Christ is weak or undeveloped. We as fellow pilgrims, called to travel the same path of discipleship, can add wind to their sails. The only distinction made among the members in the body of Christ is in regard to ministries, and those who minister are to do so not as a way of inflating their profile in the community, but because they have talents that God has given them to share. Remember the biting criticism Jesus gave of many of the chief priests of his day. All their works are performed to be seen. That one short sentence says a lot. Our Holy Father, Pope Francis, made some remarks early in his pontificate about the trappings of worldly glory that can creep into the rhythm of life of the Church. In one interview, he coined the phrase, airport bishops, for those bishops who involve themselves in so many other pursuits that they spend an inordinate amount of time and money flying from this place to that, all the while pulling them away from their home diocese. He also mentioned that it is necessary for a priest to have a good and dependable car. However, priests need not own or drive expensive cars. This is for both our own humility and the sensibilities of the poor in our parishes and towns. For example, there is a justification for many guys to have four-wheel drive if they commute between parishes in a harsh winter climate like ours. But does that require a buddy down at Valley Imports making a sweetheart deal for him 
to lease a new Mercedes SUV every other year? Lastly, we cannot ignore the repeated predictions our Lord made about his pending suffering and death. The Son of Man is to be handed over to men, and they will kill him. The idea of a Messiah triumphing by means of his destruction did not compute, and they wanted to share in that fate even less. The Apostles' conversation in today's Gospel was about as far removed from the Lord's pending suffering. I'm the greatest among us, and I will be seated at Jesus' right hand. No way, I'm the greatest, not you. We heard in our first reading a description of how the foes of Jesus vented their envy, rage, and fear in condemning Christ outright or consenting to his execution. Or at least it sounded like it could be that way. But it actually comes from the Book of Wisdom in the Old Testament. The author is believed to be a Jewish person living in Egypt about a century before the birth of Christ. When the wicked said, Let us beset the just one, because he is obnoxious to us. This passage is such an uncanny foreshadowing of our Lord's passion that it sounds like it could have come from a news article about Good Friday, but it's not. In obedience to the Father's will, Jesus inserted himself into the middle of the most fearsome circumstances our fallen world could throw at him. Rather than to sidestep it and stand aloof, he took the brunt of our suffering upon his shoulders. The marks of the wounds from the nails remained in his risen glorified body as a trophy of his atonement. We who wish to be disciples of Jesus must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and serve rather than to be served. There is no other way. Amen.